0: Welcome to Discograffiti, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. My name is Dave Gebro.
1: And I'm Joe Kennedy. And we've got a lot of objective truth for you today. Hope you're ready for it in your ear hole. Here on Discograffiti.com. It's we're, a name that we chose um, after great deliberation, actually, That's right? true.
0: It was actually a process of, what, a couple months of conversations, I think.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we, we were going to be, uh, the, the, the second place name we almost were was going to be Rock Cousteau. Which I still love.
0: And then it got bogged down because... We were going to take on these personas. Like, you were going to be... <laughs> I was going to be Rock... I was lucky enough to land that name. But then you were stuck with Marco Yolo. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I then, was down with it. I was <laughs> To do it, I know you were. I was up for it, not really in keeping in character with <laughs> <I> me. <mean. laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to repeatedly explain the concept of Marco Yolo all and the time. That probably would have certainly gotten old by now, and it passed on that wise. I
0: know the you know, the character of Rock would have overtaken me, like other tragic um cautionary tales throughout rock history. If you think we overthink this podcast already,
1: you should have heard the original concept.
0: Well, actually. Before Rock Cousteau, um, there was actually a many-step process to get there. Here were some of the discarded names that we were thinking about, if only momentarily, for the show. Um, the first one where I was like, huh, was Ark of a Hard Driver. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's terrible. Which even that, yeah, you got to start somewhere. Flip the Tape, terrible. Here was the first one where I was like, okay. The harsh interrogation light looks suspiciously like yellow vinyl.
1: Zero stars.
0: <laughs> okay, but here are some good ones. You ready? So you really want to know how good you were? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that one still. Man, these are rough. How about the microscope of pure objectivity? <laughs> that one works. I don't hear it. Okay, any that's the best so far. Comment, yes. that's, st- that's still pretty bad. Agreed. Stereotypes? Hmm. Okay. Two words, ooh, two words ooh. Okay um, Dusting for vomit mm. I like it still. Kind of an in-joke, but eh, If you like music or movies or actors
1: Yeah, you just anything. gotta tell everybody all the time that you have this that we, what? It's a podcast about vomit you're like, Right, right
0: Music is our bitch I don't like that one at all <laughs> um, Sacred cow tipping That I kinda like um, Oh, and so you don't have to Mm. Which I kind of like, because we're doing all this work, so you don't have to. That's kind of the, uh, the inference. There's, uh, the, there's a lot of low
1: cards in that hand. Right there. <laughs>
0: there are. Anyway, needless to say, here we are. And the only reason we're as gargantuan as we are now is because we stuck with that name, amongst other uh, completely inconsequential reasons. We would have,
1: at best, one-third as many followers if we were dusting for vomit, the music podcast. That's being very generous. Yes. Um, anyway... Well, anyway, today we will be turning the spray cans on the Bee Gees oh, and their yes. comprehensive discography. The minor, Bee Gees. Minor
0: key, Eleanor Rigby aping, string laden, beetly boy band turned chest hair flaunting disco bandwagon flagship act and ultimately adult contemporary penises.
1: And that's not even all of it. There's it's even, that, that
0: doesn't even cover it all, really. It doesn't at all cover it. Obviously, I don't have to ask you, Joe. This was an important band for you growing up because they were ubiquitous. Were well, they we
1: moved um, when I was little. I was, I'm born in, we are born in 72. And um, my family moved from the Bronx to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 1978. So I was six. And that's kind of like where a lot of my memory sort of really starts. Me too. Um, same era. And so that year you had, you know, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack and Grease and Star Wars were pretty much the, that was pretty much all there was in life
0: at that time. Oh, it's the only thing that really, the things that really existed. And the Sgt. Pepper movie.
1: That didn't exist.
0: In 78 it did.
1: It, it, well, technically it existed the same
0: way that like, I don't it know. It didn't exist for me at the time. It didn't exist for me. <laughs> didn't exist for most. I remember my parents uh, making fun of me because I had adopted the John Travolta walk. Oh, we all did it. Yeah. But the funny thing is, if you watched that movie uh, now, it's actually more of a gritty urban drama. Oh, yeah. It's not like a dancing well, It's room. like
1: Rocky or something. The same kind of deal. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, uh, but uh, the it's hard to really express if you weren't alive at that time, the sheer total saturation that the Bee Gees managed to achieve um, you know, it, it was just every 30 seconds there was a BG song coming on the radio or on TV or wherever. They, they were just the hugest thing. The only thing I could think of since then that was even close to that... BTS? Kind of, no, I would say like uh, Michael Jackson Thriller era. Yeah.
0: You know, where it was yeah, yeah. that had
1: that complete saturation of the culture. Um, if
0: you were born in the year that we were born or even thereabouts, um, growing up, they were the most mythological... Figures in the music industry, basically.
1: Yeah, and then this weird thing happened with them where they were just so huge, and then the immediate crash and burn, which well, I guess we'll talk about we'll that. Talk, we'll we'll talk there. about that later. We'll get there. There's but a whole sociological I, You thing know, what
0: it. I remember is, you know, when growing up, my parents had a back, back room that was built, and, um, you know, they would have their weekend parties there and always be coming back from school. And I can just hear it now walking up to the house and just hearing the Bee Gees bl- blasting out. And it's just synonymous with a good time. And, uh, but let's, let's flash back, if we can, to the Isle of Man during the 1940s. Okay, so uh, the Gibb family uh, moved to England in, in 1955, but um, started off on the, the Isle of Man there.
1: And the Gibbs of interest here are oldest uh, Barry, sort of the uh, reverse Brian Wilson of the band, because he's the oldest.
0: Right. And he didn't like to stay at home. He liked to go out and be on every stage in the world. And it's not clear if he
1: ever ate um, gallons of Rocky Road ice cream in one sitting, like Brian. um, And he never worked at his own health food restaurant. (laughs) Otherwise, it's exactly the same. Otherwise, very similar. And then the twin brothers, the fraternal twins, Robin and Maurice... Um, those are the three BGs, and then um, there's another one that kind of comes along later. But we'll talk about him later. But right. those are the three that are of interest to us now.
0: And they uh, the first the your first musical concern they had together as a brotherly group was uh, a, a skiffle. Skiffle band, a genre that it's I... kind of skiffle. It's kind of like... Yeah, me. right. We did, well, the first thing that... Are you talking about the first thing that was released? No, no, no. Just even before that, they had a little group called the Rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 57, they started singing in harmony. In um, uh, 58, they became Wee Johnny Hayes and the Blue Cats. Uh, and then they emigrated to Australia. In 1960, they were named the Bee Gees. And then they got a recording deal in 1963 under that name
1: now Bee Gees um, is basically a reference to Barry Gibbs initials and also there was a local DJ who was kind of promoting them whose name is escaping me right now that also had the same initials
0: Bill Good Bill Good
1: yeah there you go yeah so it was a
0: very sneaky got that research on lockdown that's right so uh, basically yeah, that brings us to the beginning of their career which is phase one the Australian Chipmunks 1963 to 1966 so March twenty second, nineteen sixty three, their very first single came out. Uh, it the A side was the Battle of the Blue and the Gray, and the, the flip was the Three Kisses of Love. And like all of the BG's output prior to sixty seven, uh, it was only released in Australia, um, and you know they were not known out outside of there. Uh, it was written by Barry when he was sixteen. And it sounds like the chipmunks fronting a marching band. I give it two stars. Now, notably, Barry is
1: already kind of writing a lot, so that's pretty cool. It He's, is pretty um, cool. Th- you're talking about the uh, Battle of the Blue and Gray and all that, right? Uh-huh. So, yeah, there's a t- clip of them doing it on TV. That's kind of interesting. They're like little kids, basically, um, and uh, it's kind of like a Kingston Trio kind of folky thing. It seems like it's already kind of a little dated by the time of sixty-three, sixty-four when they're when they're doing these, you know, when they're releasing these. Um, but they're giving it a go, you
0: know? Yeah. It's a little, it's a little teenagers. bit on the self-righteous side, but you know, yeah. they're like little kids. I give it two stars. Uh, the hell you throw with this? These thing? are kind of weird for me to star two stars. Okay, good. Just stick with my rating. I'm <laughs> going to do it, do it anyway. Objectively I have, I have my own here, but. You okay. Know. Let's hear them. I said two stars. Fine. Okay, good. Okay. July, 1963, five months later, their second single comes out. A side timber. Backed with "Take Hold of That Star,"
1: these are pretty basic, like 1950s sounding kind of jams.
0: Sort of prepubescent. Love Again, song, seemed, they seem a little bit behind the times. A bit. It's very teeny bopper and very watered down, do up. Um, but serviceable. I give it two and three quarters stars. <laughs> That's a real rating. I gave this two for anybody who gives a shit. What I think about this. <laughs> I know everyone does. March, 1964. Uh, this is what, eight months later, their third single, a side peace of mind backed with don't say goodbye. More of the same. I think better than nascent, worse than essential. But this one's a little different to me because now it seems clear that they've heard the Beatles So
1: this is the the first kind of Um, Beatles-influenced. They do kind of a unison vocal thing that's kind of Beatles. uh, I think from now on, this is kind of a little bit where they get more modern to me right here. They're kind of doing the Beatles. They do do the Beatles a lot.
0: It's funny that you see a big difference, because I give it, again, two and three-quarters stars. (laughs) No joke. I ramped this one up to two and a half. (laughs) Wow, they're getting great for you around this time. (laughs) All right, so in 1964, we have their fourth single. Claustrophobia backed with Could It Be. Um, so now they're kind of betraying a little bit more guitar reverb-heavy Shadows influence. That seems to suit them pretty well. Again,
1: this one sounds Beatley. This sounds kind of like Am uh, Happy Just to Dance With You, kind of George
0: Harrison low-key Beatles except with, vibe. Except with an accordion solo.
1: Yeah, and they're also kind of singing with the Liverpudlian kind of accent a little bit to me, yeah, it yeah. sounds
0: like. Yeah, they're leaning towards greatness here. Yeah. Towards the copy of Greatness. <laughs> Uh, but we're taking baby steps towards greatness here they're still
1: teenagers too they're still very young and they're still pretty far away from making their first proper real album so for teenagers this is pretty impressive
0: look no apology necessary I want to point out that I give this three stars three stars for me too yeah okay good 1964 fifth single Turn Around Look At Me backed with theme from The Travels of Jamie McFeeders." okay so now we're obviously getting a little bit Carnaby Street (laughs) Pre psych era. So the A side's a cover, and although it's beautifully arranged, um, it sounds more and more like moody mid 60s British BGs, I guess. I don't really like this one. I gave this two. I give it three, but maybe I was being lenient at the time because I was on vacation. Well, maybe. I think you have to, sc- re- you have to factor that in. In retrospect, I want to copy your rating. Okay. 1965, their sixth single, Every Day I Have to Cry, backed with You Wouldn't Know. Now they're more self assured and writing timely sounding chest thrusted Carnaby Street style shamalams. <laughs> the
1: the B side, I kind of like better, I think, than the A side. Yeah? The B side's kind of like Kmart John Lennon to me, but it's okay. These are kind of interesting because uh, they are kind of making very slight progressions through these. If you kind of listen to them all back to back in order like this, like we did.
0: But super slight. The next Uh,
1: one's where it gets good for me, though.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. So you want to talk about it? Yeah, so Wine
1: and Women, that's the next single. And this one kind of has like a blown out kind of production style. It's kind of like uh, getting almost sort of into like what like Nuggets kind of recordings sound like um you know kind of regional musicians and engineering quality and a little bit harder edged um, th- that song especially I, qu- I quite like i like you know why I give the single 3 why you, is that
0: because the producer that that took them to where they needed to go started with them here it's bill shepherd ah,
1: i see okay bill yeah.
0: shepherd started producing them here mm-hmm. and he would go with with the group to england uh, when they launched their huge career, yeah, this uh, one
1: seems like a, a step forward for sure. The B side's kind of like a folk, like Dylan kind of thing.
0: Well, I think more Donovan well, like. It's kind it,
1: of well, they, you know, they're aiming for Don, Dylan and they, and they achieve Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a common,
0: uh, yeah, a common. Uh, the funny play. thing is, the same thing happened to Donovan. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, yep yeah, I like Follow the Wind though this is it's def- good yeah this is a good single yeah it's I give this four stars okay actually. I give Three and a half. Three and a half man yeah. you are I see who's gonna be the hard ass here uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> alright so their eighth single is I was a lover by the way I'm really sorry I hurt your feelings mm. just that I'll get over it alright eighth single 1965 I was a lover a leader of men backed with and the children laughing mm. so a little bit a kind of waltz time psych pop, right? With this one seemed like a dud to me. I don't know. A little bit like diminishing returns. I gave this one, one star. I didn't like Wow. It. I didn't like this one. Wow. Well, I if the B side's even worse if you didn't like the A side. It's uh tenth mm. rate Zero Xerox copy Bob Dylan that winds up being like shitty Barry McGuire. Yeah, they
1: can't all be home runs, you no, know. No, They're no, releasing no. a lot of singles
0: here, so you yeah. get some hits and misses. Yeah. But I I like the for, the A side better than you do. I give it 3 stars.
1: So you can find all this stuff, well I guess now we're kind of getting into the next the comp. There's a they, there's a comp that they that was released, Brilliant from Birth comp um, that collects pretty much all of these and then a bunch of other stuff. Pretty much all their Aussie outputs. It's
0: like a clearinghouse for all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think and there's
1: like 50, 60 songs out it. Frankly,
0: it's it's above just like of historical interest. There's some actually good stuff here that deserves to I be. I picked listened
1: out to. a few that I liked from uh, from that
0: collection. Your you best know, bet, it. honestly, is to forget this stupid collection, this venal repackaging, and just go to Discograffiti.com. We'll or put follow the good ones along on our, Yeah, yeah. All you need is our playlist. But some of the great other ones. Butterfly. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Butterfly is awesome. And by the way, he redid that. Yeah, a with, couple uh, of years ago. Gillian Welch and it's, David it's Rawlings. It's the only yeah. worthwhile track on that whole comp. Um, that's the only thing you like on
1: all of Brilliant from Birth.
0: No, no, no. On, on that comp, on On, yeah, very good on comp, the country comp. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: That's a yeah. It's a nice cover, uh, Gillian Welch and David Rawlings, and uh, it's a good tune. Um, he thinks Barry's only still like nineteen or twenty or something when he wrote that.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a really really good song. And then there's. Um, some more great ones. In the morning, the original version, which they later exhumed for the melody soundtrack in 1971, mm-hmm. like nobody else. That's a that's pretty a cool R and B kind of nuggetsy thing. Some of these on
1: the um, brilliant from birth comp do get in that kind of nuggets sort of space. So yeah. if that's your kind of thing, you probably find a few that you like because it's. But
0: like nobody else is the perfect example. Yeah, that's that's kind of
1: the it really, it really does the, have that Nuggets sound to it.
0: Yeah. And then there's a few other ones, Coleman, Exit Stage Right, I'll Know What to Do, all good ones. All right, so November 1965, their debut record, uh, the Bee Gees Sing and Play 14 Barry Gibb Songs. So uh, this is basically a collection of their early singles from Australia and three other random songs. Uh, to me, the most notable of the bunch is the, the uh, doo-wop inspired How Love Was True. Mm-hmm. Other, otherwise, everything's been rated thus far. Right. 1966 single, I Want Home, backed with Cherry Red. So I Want Home is the first time you can actually hear the droning psych influences uh, that pulled them through the remainder of the 60s. And then Cherry Red sounds like it was cut from the same pillowy harmony cloth as the Beatles' Yes It Is. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, nice single.
0: Yeah, I give this one three and a half.
1: Yep, three and a half for me too. Good psych uh, jam on side A. It has the good, the kind of heavy sort of sound to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, good sound for them.
0: Then moving on into uh, another one from '66, Monday's Rain, backed with All of My Life. Monday's Rain is um, very heavily characterized by something that Joe hates, which is Robin's goat-like vibrato. <laughs> I
1: call it Goat Robin. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's I mean, not I'm, a fan. I guess I'll just address the Robin thing now.
1: Like you know, I um, you, it, Robin's obviously talented. He he's not like he can't sing. He can hit all the notes. He's a good. He writes some good songs. He's a key part of the band. It's divisive. A lot of his songs bum me out. Just the this, this, the choices, the style of singing is, you know, it's it's a, it's a. It's, it's
0: almost Kabuki maudlin.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that's his style. That's how he sings. Some people may not. Some people may not be as bummed out by it as I was. But um, the Robin songs are a tough go for me, especially when he's really pouring it on. And that's <laughs> okay.
0: You know what? Beyond the grave. He's pissed at you for saying that, but he loves you for tackling all the work and taking it seriously. So don't worry about yeah, it. He Joe. took
1: he took himself pretty seriously, it seems Very like. <laughs> seriously.
0: All right. So the uh, the B side all of my life uh, is even better. I think it's like a very Beatley Barry number that tickles those psych funny bones just so.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of Beatle pastiche in this era, and um, you know, I feel like we're not really even—we've—we're kind of, not even there. We're yet. barely into their career, and we this seems like I've already heard a lot of BGS um, at this point, and they're kind of yeah. not even really uh, going yet. You know, this no. is just kind of the ramp up to this their, is their totally real stuff. the
0: ramp up. Most people don't even know about this. Yeah, stuff. all
1: this stuff was not even released internationally until it was just reissued recently. So this is, is all still the Australia period.
0: The thing is, everyone knows about disco era BGS. Not as many people know about Psycara Bee Gees, and even less people know about the Australian stuff. Mm-hmm. So, moving right along, we got the first single that they became well known for, albeit not in a you know gigantic international sense Spicks and Specks, backed with I Am the World.
1: It's so uh, like it's by the Thamesmen or something,
0: yeah, Cups and Cakes, Cups and Cakes. Uh, I wonder if
1: that's what they were thinking of. When they, uh, I got to tell you, I case. love this song. It's pretty
0: I, good. There's probably a time when I wouldn't have liked it nearly as much, but I think it's sort of a one of those you know four to the floor mini masterpieces from during that time. Yeah, there's a couple of cool
1: things from this period. There, there, I feel like the songwriting's not really quite where it's going to go yet, but um, they're still very young, and you can see the promise in it for sure.
0: This is basically in a, an initial... Talent audition within themselves to gain entrance into the rarefied air of English. Pop yeah, I think startup.
1: this is the record that got them the real record deal,
0: right? Right, so I give it four stars. I actually very much like this. I gave same. this three. Uh, then we have the album Spicks and Specks, mm-hmm. and and um, so unlike the previous record, uh, which had only contained three songs that hadn't uh, appeared on other stuff, Spicks and Specks can really be regarded as the first proper album. I agree, of the group. yes, yeah. Um, so the best of the rest is as follows. So, uh, play down is probably the best song on it that hasn't been heard.
1: Also. Yeah, and it sounds kind of BG-ish. Like it kind of has there has Barry's distinct kind of like uh, m- melodic sense to it. It's, it sounds like what they're going to sound like.
0: Right, and and the song is actually so good that there's a fucking mouth harmonica solo <laughs> in it, and I won't even take it down a peg it's, for it's it. Kind of, that one's kind of almost disqualifies it. It almost does.
1: Wow! Yeah. Wow! wah! wah, wah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there's a few other good songs, but that's not a great record. I give it two and a half stars. Uh, what did I give that here? I gave that one two.
1: Okay. Fair enough. The other thing that was kind of of note, I kind of liked a How Many Birds,
0: which yeah, that's a um, good song.
1: appropriately sounds like The Birds.
0: Yeah, yeah, but without the why. Without the why,
1: but yeah, that, that one's pretty good.
0: Um, so they w- they really didn't have a lot of success. All the success they did have was sequestered in, in their, their homeland. So they went to uh, to England. This is January fourth, nineteen sixty seven. They sailed to England. Um, so while they were at sea, uh, the most uh, influential newspaper in Australia, um, uh, Go Set. Had, dec- had said Spicks and Specks was the best single of the year. And then um, Brian Epstein had gotten demos. The demos had been passed on to Robert Stigwood, uh, who uh, had recently joined NEMS, uh, Epstein's company. And then after an audition with uh, Stigwood in that next month, in February of 67, uh, the BG signed a five-year contract uh, with Polydor. It's
1: amazing. I think it's worked back then.
0: Yeah, you just take a giant ship overseas and sign a record deal. I guess they
1: had recorded like eighty-five songs or something by then. And yeah, they were like twenty years old. So I guess but they had this to, uh, this they truly worked, is, they worked pretty hard to get there.
0: This yeah they did, and this truly is the beginning for them. Um, you know he he backed them hardcore without Stigwood. Who the hell knows? Honestly, I mean, you could
1: start here and you still have plenty to <laughs> plenty to dig into. Yeah, you know, most people do. I think the the uh, the Australia period's pretty obscure of their career, but um, definitely worth checking out, especially if you're into that kind of like nuggets kind of sound. There's yeah. there's, there's a bunch of those guys. And so of
0: what what went up changing their vibe um, is be, before the first album, the group expanded, and you brought in Colin Peterson and the and Vince Maloney, and from all uh, from all accounts, this was a band. Well, they also um, on the they start making their first album pretty much,
1: and um, they they start using a lot of brass and strings. The records get a lot more ornate, right. so it takes it into a more classy kind of pop thing, and less so much like garagey bands like they were in England. I mean, in right. Australia. Yeah, yeah. When they get to England, it's more of like they kind of go into this sort of like zombies, you know, baroque kind of mode. It's a little building
0: bit. off a of that Eleanor Rigby minor chord, like. Dour, right. I guess the point is they got, they got the
1: budget to do all that stuff. Oh, yeah. To put lots
0: of strings and stuff on their records. And that yeah, that's yeah.
1: becomes pretty prominent. Um, that's a distinct feature throughout their career. That the, kind of lush orchestra stuff.
0: The, the first uh, the first big one was New York Mining Disaster 1941, which um, was, again, with the Beatles piggybacking, it was sent out to DJs with a blank white label mm-hmm. so that they would do a clattoo thing.
1: And then some people fell for it and thought it was the Beatles, which yeah, is yeah. completely inexplicable to it me. It is
0: inexplicable.
1: Like, did people just not have ears or anything? And by
0: the way, it's an interesting song because the harmony vocal is more prominent over the main line, isn't it?
1: That harmony, of that. Uh, that song kind of sounds like dissonant to me. Like uh-huh. they're singing in parallel fifths or something that you're not supposed to do harmony wise. Yeah. Um, and they
0: put the bleeding goat up front.
1: <laughs> Um, so that one's not my favorite. That's one to me, one of the not highlights of the, this first record. But um,
0: but this this kind of brings us into phase two. So right. Phase two. Phase two. The psychedelic years 1967 to
1: 1969. Well, here we are.
0: So album number one is BG's First, August sixty-seven. Groovy cover, uh done by Klaus Vorman. This is an unbelievable record, man.
1: Yeah, it's very good. I'm gonna try not to overuse the word pastiche in the next however many uh two Just hours, say it hours now. we do yeah, this. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but um this is uh, you know, very influenced by the Beatles, but I think one kind of one of the more successful Beatle pastiche efforts, really,
0: probably ever. Ever, ever. Man. Um there's a bunch of songs you can say, but they pull it off yet, as even though it's pastiche, it's original because it's them singing it, and there's also. Um, just this maudlin vein that the Beatles never really took up.
1: Yeah, I I mean, maudlin is kind of a word that has negative connotations. Um, I think it's kind of fair to call a lot of their stuff kind of maudlin. Um, You know, the better stuff kind of is in the, uh, the more successful songs are kind of in what I'd call the melancholy (laughs) sort of side. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, true. I I don't think there's a bad song on the record. Yeah, I that like pretty a, much everything on this. I mean, this is... Um, Even it, down to Red Chair Fade Away, which my dad hates. That oh, that song. sounds great. My dad hates that fucking song. Why, why, why does he hate that? Um, because he can't really understand things like Red Chair Fade Away and Lemons Never Forget. <laughs> but he can understand... Uh, he doesn't like Night songs Fever. where
1: inanimate objects are anthro- right. <laughs> anthropomorphized. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, that, I, can he, just see, I can hear your dad talking about, how can a red chair fade away? That's
0: right. <laughs> I don't understand it. Huh? He, a lemon, how could a lemon forget something? Huh? He also hates the song "My Pet Rock Went to Sleep." <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, uh, "Holiday" is an amazing song. Um, one, one-minute woman, great Beatles pastiche. Yeah, Holiday's kind of like the uh, the
1: the, uh, the perfect example of the kind of melancholy, minor key sort of. Uh,
0: like, you know, uh, wistful kind of mood they they could capture really well. Same with I Can't See Nobody. That's, right. I mean, there's just, I close my eyes, please read me to love somebody. The list goes on and on and on. Plus you have some like kind of freaky Gregorian chant style psych that actually really works. Every Christian lionhearted man can show you. I love that song. That
1: one, I mean, they're so... It's, leaning so hard into strawberry fields it's the same like drum film. and I love it
0: I just love it Um, that is a definite five star for me
1: yeah five stars for me too Um, they're also kind of a real band now the the two guys that they got the drummer and the guitarists are kind of they kind of stick around for a while and um, it's not just rando session guys coming into play. They're kind of a little Yeah, this phase, band. what
0: we call the psychedelic years, this is basically the lifespan of this band. Right. This is now a band called the Bee Gees. And then at the end of that time, uh, it veers into, uh, faints into a different direction. So uh, after... So from this record, you know, I th- this is a legit five-star record.
1: And uh, there'll be a lot of this on the playlist. You know, it's, it's mostly l- l- very high hit-to-miss ratio.
0: Nineteen sixty-eight, we kick off that year with uh, the single "Words," great single, which is, it's a classic, uh, backed with "Sinking Ships." I give this five stars.
1: Five stars for me too. Um, this seems like a kind of a template, kind of this. They would do a lot of these kind of mid-tempo ballads over the years. Um, this is this is you know this is their sound. This is a uh, very up, representative. It of wound what they wound up choking doing.
0: the chicken for them later on, unfortunately. But, <laughs> right. uh, so in February sixty eight you have the album "Horizontal." Um, it's better than your typical sophomore slump record, uh, but it just has a, has a lower ratio of great songs than the first one. Yeah, it
1: kind of pairs with the first one, I feel like. It seems yeah. like it's kind of, uh, it's the same. It's not surprising that it's the same artist. It's not much of a shift. Um, the, the, <laughs> there's a few too many Robins on this <laughs> right, <laughs> Robin right, right. on this one. Look, um, there's
0: in my estimation, there's five great songs in it. World. Lemons Ooh. never forget. And it's true too, by the way. It's a little known fact about lemons. With the Sun in My Eyes, great song. Massachusetts is a Stone Cold classic. And Harry Braff. Harry Braff
1: is. I know. I know. I, I, know.
0: It, I like the Twee stuff. You know that.
1: Harry Braff kind of sounds like the monkeys to me. It's like they went for Beatles and got. And monkeys. your problem with the song is. <laughs> I like the monkeys okay. I love the monkeys. Well, What's when you're aiming okay. for Beatles and you arrive at them? I guess that's still right, an okay right. result.
0: There's some, there's some eh stuff on this. Um, and before we throw our star rating at it, Barker of the UFO is an awesome B side to Massachusetts. Uh, do you like I, farty bass? <laughs> I love farty bass. Out. Kidding me? Three and a half stars for this record, not quite as good as the first. I gave it exactly the same. I also like that
1: there's a ballad, I think, kind of near the end called Horizontal that has a nice, real nice kind of melody to it. That's decent. Um, yeah, you know, lemons never forget that one. We should talk about a little more. That you that you could probably you could play that for people and it would blow their mind that it's the Bee Gees. Right. It's just a really really good psych tune. Um, that that that's kind of the standout um, from this record to me.
0: Yeah, it's a cool song. I like. I wish they did more more sized, <laughs> <Anthomorph>, <laughs> an- for more, for, <laughs> Um so yeah. Moving on, nineteen sixty eight. Uh, they put out a single, uh, Jumbo, backed with the singer sang his song. I uh, thought it was a decent enough stopgap release, but nothing earth-shaking. It's fine. Three stars. Three stars. Okay, September 68, the third album of the band, and it's called Idea. Right, and this one gets a little
1: more bland. Um, this one seems like it's not as good as either of the first two, and it's kind of a little bit of a different thing. It's a little bit less like a uh, psych, kind yeah. of more straightforward.
0: Well, Barry, when he was interviewed, he, the, to paraphrase him, he basically said they weren't getting along at all at this point. Right. And it just comes across, uh, the ego clashes come across in the music.
1: Well, it's starting to get more binary. There's kind of rockers and kind of wuss ballads. Right. So it's kind of like they, the song has kind of fallen to one of those two things. There's some real Robin, like Goat Robin <laughs> songs on this. That one, yeah. In the Summer of His Years, that's kind of like the most goat voice one.
0: I think it's just basically like the demands of a of a band in the nineteen sixties. You inevitably, uh, unless you were superhuman, we're going to backslide into more trifle like confectionery territory.
1: Well, yeah, well, you know, the song I started a joke is on this record. Yeah, and that, great That song. was a big hit. That's
0: a good example. I've got, I've got to get a message to you. Another great one. Well, like
1: I, I started a joke. That's a good song. Mm-hmm. It was a hit. Not everybody was turned off by the voice of it. I, I can't, I just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be fair. It's, 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 no, it's, it's hey, tough when it's a singer that you don't like. It's, it's tough one to thing, get around it.
0: Most people have opinions about music. But right. when, you, uh, when you have a show like this guy, Graffiti, it's an objective truth about music. So you don't <laughs> need to apologize about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna
1: probably keep apologizing because I feel bad about how much I don't like the way
0: Robin gets. You don't always have to speak well of the dead, (laughs) right? Okay. 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 All right. Especially if you were bad mouthing him when he was alive, and and that was. I don't
1: think I really thought about it much until now. This is. I I don't think it really crossed my mind how Robin gets. All
0: all I hear from you is Robin sucks, Robin this, (laughs) Robin that for like 30 years now. (laughs) Um, So uh, this album is not the greatest thing in the world. Uh, One a, other tune I want to mention, because I think it's kind of key in their uh,
1: advancement. Can I guess?
0: Mm-hmm. Is it Kilburn it's Towers? It's Kilburn Towers, I know yes. It.
1: And this has, um, they have now discovered the major seventh chord. Oh. Which is kind of a chord that's, um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's a it's a very melancholy, wistful chord. It basically has a major chord and a minor chord in it, so it's kind of a happy, sad kind of sounding chord. Um, and they a lot of their later hits um, uh, really um, exploit the magic of the major seventh chord. How it's do you ama- mend a broken heart?
0: It's amazing. It took them until 1968 to find it.
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of like a jazzy chord, really. Kind right, of. right. Um, but yeah, so um, it's kind of a new color for them, and they start right.
0: using it from here on out. Um, worthy of note, uh, the Vince Maloney, the I mean, they must have been nice guys, the Gibbs, because they let him put a song on the goddamn He's album. He's the guitar player. Right. So he wrote a song on this called Such a Shame, and it was about how it was a shame that the group was falling apart. Hmm. Okay. All right, I give this two and a half stars. I gave idea three stars. Okay. Uh, more forgiving. All right. 1969, Odessa. All right. Let's talk about this fucking behemoth of a record. First of all, the heft of it. This thing was coated in vinyl, right? Was it vinyl?
1: No, it's like a kind of it? a
0: velvety. We
1: have okay. So my
0: mom, you have the yeah, my
1: mom had this. So this was in the, like, you know, my parents were young when I was First born.
0: First of all, this is a rock opera. Continue. Sort of. It's sort of a rock opera.
1: E-ish. <laughs> it is. My uh, my parents were young when I was born. They were in the early twenties, and I kind of inherited their record collection. So I got all my dad's records, all my mom's records. They're kind of all and you know big huge box of forty fives. But Odessa was in there. My mom's a big Bee Gees fan, and I remember Odessa like the cover of it and the the, the packaging, the way it was made. It, it just felt very forbidding. Like I wasn't supposed to open it or something.
0: Well, this was intended as a concept album about uh, the loss of some made-up ship in 1899. So this fucked the band up completely, and uh, it, it basically rendered them inactive as a, as a band and um, split them apart as a brotherly unit for a Some while. people swear by it. Some people swear by it, and actually I'm kind of in the middle, although this typically is truly my, my zone I love stuff like this. the they, The concept is uh, very loosely
1: adhered to, if, if
0: if at all. It's one of those like strains of concept albums where it starts as a concept album, and literally right out of the gate, they're like, "Ah, fuck it, let's just do a regular <laughs> album." But then they leave the concepty thing in. Well, the, the first song
1: it. is like a seven and a half minute, like, abomination. It's like it's like the real opera e parts. Right. Um, it, it, it's about the boat wreck and all that. I don't it's think like, it's
0: an abomination, but it's certainly not a great uh, song. I
1: don't like that at all. Look. There's it, a part of it where Robin is, like, double-tracking his voice, and he's like... So it's, like, double-track goat voice, which, like, with this extreme vibrato. So it's, like, it's the weirdest thing to hear double-tracked, because it's, like like, oscillating out of phase with itself, the vibrato, and then, like... Sounds. Most people do like or something. Not, not Mo- in a good way. It most people, good most way.
0: people don't understand that uh, BGS. That is not Barry Gibb. That is bleating goats. <laughs> <laughs> bleating goats. Um, the first song is uh, no.
1: It's it's, nope.
0: it's length. If you love Robin, you'll love it. Conversely, there's also a lot of really
1: overdone string like. Uh, I love orchestra stuff. I love a
0: lot of that shit.
1: I really do. Like the whole side four is mostly orchestra. Just
0: like instrumental. All right. Most of this album to me is good. Some of it is great. There's nothing bad to me on it. I'd say the great stuff is I've plucked out five songs that are going to be on the playlist. You'll Never See My Face Again, which is awesome. That's good. Melody Fair is awesome. That's a nice chamber pop thing.
1: Lamplight is awesome. Okay. So yeah, Lamplight's kind of an important one to talk about because that kind of broke up the bands for a minute.
0: Right. Uh, Let's go back to that. I just want to finish it. Give Your Best is um, a really good country informed track on the record. And I laugh in your face. Those are the five that I love. But let's, yeah, Lamplight, go ahead. So yeah,
1: Lamplight's a Robin song. It's a good song. It's got a really big, epic, catchy um, hook in the chorus. Um, And so uh, Robin, who, so the, the brothers are kind of locked in an ego battle at this point. It really comes to a head on this record. It, you really get the sense that Barry just wanted to make a straight-ahead record, because all the Barry songs are, seem like his just regular-ass Barry songs. He doesn't seem like he's really participating in the concept r- record. Um, but um, they end up choosing Barry's song, 1st of May, which is an okay song. It's kind of a run-of-the-mill Barry song. Not, I think not, it's a not, good song. Not one of his best, really. No, it's not. And it, it, you know, they, they went with that over Lamplight. And they, they probably should have gone Light with is Lamplight. Lamplight. Lamplight's yeah, a better, better song. Robin's kind of right, I think. And it was it seemed like a more obvious single. Some A&R guy was probably like, we don't want this goat verse part. <laughs> right. But, um, and then so Robin ends up kind of leaving the band over it. Um, because I guess
0: the first of May single also didn't do well. Right. So there were two reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, ultimately, this is just like, every time I come back to Odessa... It feels like it's going to be better than it truly actually is or or how I want it to be. But it still is, I think, a very good album. And I give it three and a half stars.
1: I gave it two and a half. And there's, Ooh, a, the, wow. yeah, I didn't like it really that much. Huh. I like some of the Barry There's a couple other things on here that are just weird, like Marley Pert Drive, which is like an obvious rip of the weight. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a direct rip of, and it kind of just makes you realize how good the weight is. Right, right. And it's also just really weird that this, like, Americana song that obviously sounds like the band is on this, like, not this, like, rock concept album about a sinking boat in At Russia. Right, <laughs> It doesn't right. really make any sense. It makes you think that, like, basically, Barry's not really participating. Barry's <laughs> trying to sink the boat,
0: basically, <laughs> is what he's doing. They should have called it Sink the t- Boat. And, what about Edison. Uh, Edison's so I, fucking stupid. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> that I, song is idiotic. I don't think there's a bad song on the record. Ed-
1: Edison, think- if you're curious, is a very straightforward tribute to Thomas Thomas Edison. Um, and it's, it's very dumb.
0: Well, no, no, they knew him well and they knew him as Tommy Edison. So it makes total sense if you know that. Um, yeah, yeah I gave this two and a half. I don't really like Odessa. Um, they finished out the decade uh, with a single called Tomorrow, Tomorrow, backed with Sun in My Morning. And this is the first single that they released after Robin had, had quit. Uh, they were now down to a trio, Barry, Maurice, and the drummer, Colin Peterson. So Vince was out too. The A-side is a solid, if unexceptional, Barry Belter. And Sun in My Morning is, I think, an excellent folky ballad. Um this was the start of a period of great uncertainty for the band. And it's certainly their first trek across the Sahara of popularity. But uh, this song, this single, I give three and a half stars.
1: I uh, gave this three. Pretty good song. Um, but you're right. Yeah, this is kind of the, where they sort of uh, begin a, um, a kind of different phase. Um, That's right. <laughs> is that right, Dave?
0: Is it is phase? right. Phase three. Sailing the Schmaltzy Seas, 1970 to 1973. All right, so before we even get into the records, here's the thing. These guys, you got to understand this about the Bee Gees. Not many people do, I think, or, or consciously do. They set an adult contemporary template in the early 70s. They interrupted it. They bookmarked it by having an astronomically successful disco career, and then they revisited it for decades. Right. Yeah, they were... So, yeah, this is like
1: 1970 we're at now, correct?
0: Yeah, this is... I mean, it can totally be argued that this is the real Bee Gees. You strip off the Beatles, and before you throw on the disco, this is them running from their hearts, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, and it's so, like, classically, um, okay, the 60s are over now. We all got to, like, cool out.
0: Right, <laughs> we all right.
1: mellow out and grow up. Like so the adults. The first one. They really is, epitomize this uh, very well.
0: You could tell they're adults because the cover of the first album in this era is um, uh, a robinless Bee Gees dressed in armor.
1: It's like Arthurian uh, Night Roundtable kind of With an hair. album
0: called Cucumber Castle, referencing a song that they'd released three years prior.
1: This is one of the most Spinal Tap things that was not actually done in the movie Spinal Tap. So, like Cucumber Castle should be the record that's directly before Shark Sandwich.
0: So, I'm right, but I'm doing this trawl and I'm listening to this album and I have my knife out and the knife dissolves in my hand and becomes a flower, Joe, because I love this record. It's okay I really do this I, whole there's string, a lot of really good stuff on this this
1: whole string of these are you know you it's it, this is good for the playlist thing you can you can pluck off a few good ones on each one um but these you know I listen to all these right in a row that, that's how we do this podcast and a lot of it blends together for me it's It's kind of this kind of uh a lot of soft rock they they, they, get, they get a little bit samey. uh
0: there's a very strong country soul vibe which again was probably just pulled outright from the band. But there's also a concurrent tendency towards uh, heavily syrupy, string-laden schmaltz, which is basically their 60s stuff with the psych rubbed off. All right. So on this album, I I, re- I believe that there's um, that half of it's great. If Only I Had My Mind on Something Else uh, sounds to me like a dry run For the next years, how can you mend a broken heart? Yeah, that's
1: okay. So you know, Barry. A lot of these records kind of start off with big, like really good Barry ballads, and this is a good example of one where the the way it's written, he just connects the dots all the right ways. It's a very good melodically satisfying song. He's usually good for like one home run like that at least per record.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, there's a few other ones. Um, First of all, you have I O I O. In the tradition of cartoony pre-Graceland Africa rips, a la Top Root manuscript by Neil Diamond, um, it's a narrow but proud it, tradition. It's a micro. It's genre a narrow and not really best. even that proud tradition. It's a very shamed tradition. <laughs> then you left me. I love uh, the Lord. Kind of reminds me of Dear Doctor by the Stones. That kind of country. Kind of ironic. Vibe. Ironic country song. Uh, sweetheart, my thing, which is a really good Maurice track. My Thing kinda sounds like an Elephant Six kind of song.
1: You know, like like kinda like it would be like Olivia Tremor control or something. Um, like even down to the slightly out of tune guitar. It's yeah. a perfectly Elephant Sixy Yeah. Song.
0: Could that's kind a of compliment. a gem. I, I, that's kind of a
1: gem song. That was kind of my one of my favorites.
0: You, I'm guessing you don't like this this record as much. I give it It's three okay. You know,
1: I gave it three, and I okay. think, you know, I wish they had made a whole... Um, these records start to get where if they had just left off some of the ballads, the records would have... But, you know, I guess that these are all kind of short. Or so. just
0: put out one record a year instead yeah, of
1: two. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of kind of like, you know, they feel like they got to hedge their bets with like these kind of uh, goopy ballads, and there's always like a handful of those.
0: So, th- I mean, to me, that's not even this hard... Horror- Qualitatively, the Sahara aesthetically as well as commercially was the next record. So, two years on is the second record from 1970. Hey, and guess who's back? Yep, yep. Go boy. Rob, Robin's back, but it's not making much of a difference. The best-known track is "Lonely Days," which was released as the obvious first. Right, single. That's kind of a hit. You probably know that
1: one. You've probably heard that one on the yeah, like AM it, radio.
0: It was number three at the time. It's um, but as a record, it is not their proudest moment. Yeah, so it's a lot it's, of.
1: It's this one's more ballad heavy. I feel like than most of them.
0: Super treacly. I mean, we're now pretty much officially moving away from Carnaby Street stuff and towards the goopy end of the stick.
1: Also. So compared to some of the records from this period, this one has kind of a kind of a clunky and slipshod kind of quality to it. It's like it sounds like it's not really recorded quite as well. The performances are kind of uneven. Um, there's some kind of flubs on a few of the songs. It just sounds a little more um, rough around the edges, and rough around the edges doesn't really suit them very well. No, it doesn't. Uh, this one sounds like it was kinda rushed out.
0: Well manicured that. does the BGs well, unless you're talking about post nineteen eighty records. More on that later.
1: One of the worst songs I have heard for this entire podcast doing this uh was, I'm uh, was on this album no Sincere Relation.
0: That's bad. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's bad. That's friggin' bad. Yeah, yeah. That yep. one's rough. All right, so moving
1: on. But We're... there's some more. There's a few more things I wanted to mention. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, there, there's a couple other nice songs. Uh, the portrait of Louise is kind of. Uh, they're kind of going for that. Got to get a message to you. That one's kind of got a yeah. got a good like Everly kind of sweep, or uh, you know, that kind of big ballad sweep to it. Righteous Brothers, not Everly Brothers. It's kind of got that kind of you know. Walla Soundy kind of thing it's going for. And then
0: Back Home is is certainly more rock-oriented than they usually lean towards. What did you rate this? uh, What did you rate? I gave it two and a half. Yeah, I don't don't care for this one very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1971, they did the soundtrack for a movie called Melody. Um, The main ad here... Uh, really, it's not, uh, we're not rating the record. We're just rating the song because it's the only thing. Everything else is um, string stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's a Crosby Stills Nash tune on it. Uh, this was first recorded in 65 by these guys, uh, re recorded in 1970 for the film Changed to Morning of My Life. Um, this, I give five stars to.
1: Yeah, I love this. So this is, you know, they re recorded this, but with a real like 70s, like. Kodachrome film kind of yep. vibe to it. Yep, it's, like bread. Yeah, it's, it's got a, you know, it definitely has a soft rock goop kind of to it. Like but a kind more, of poppy, layer of,
0: more poppy. More poppy. It it's very catchy. Yeah, and, and his,
1: his vocal is really, really nice on it. It's, it's a good, it, I this is definitely playlist material. Totally on really, playlist. Really good yeah. song.
0: It's just boring for a playlist because the rest of the record is completely inessential. Yeah, so,
1: but good, that's, that's a good gem to pluck out there. Good song.
0: The other thing they did in 71 is more important than that. It's a record called Trafalgar. So... um you know, records are coming fast and furious
1: here. So yeah, a lot of material coming. This coming is like down. an
0: Emmett Rhodes style contract, uh, where it's like impossible, but it's somehow they're keeping up. The song that was very, very important for these guys—if it wasn't for this song, God knows if we'd even be here talking about them today—is how can you mend a broken heart? It became very important for them. A, it gave them the, you know, the knowledge that okay, we can. Be a functioning, vital concern. No, it was in a 1970s. smash hit. It was this yeah. number, number one single in the U.S. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was their first number one single in the U.S. But also that the fame from this song had to carry them through. The most Sahara yeah. years that they were. That put experience. that's
1: that, the success of that put some gas in the tank for a right, while. Right, exactly. Um, that song in itself, how do you mend a broken heart? I was talking about the major seventh chord thing before, and that's another perfect example of it. The first, you know, how can you mend? That's the, that's the major the note that makes it the major seven. They're really leaning into that there, um, and uh, that's it's, it's, uh, you know they also sing in the falsetto. On that song, but it's but it's a different kind of falsetto than the falsetto they, they would soon become famous slash notorious for.
0: You know that moment where he goes. Hey. Okay, does that count as vibrato? That's or is that's, that, that's like or vibrato that breath control. It's that's technically tremolo. You
1: would call tremolo, that. So when okay. you it, but it's, it's sort of a form of vibrato is when you're sort of like uh, changing the pitch right, right a little bit. Tremolo is when you're kind of going. You know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um so technically it's more tremolo I guess it's a form of vibrato I, I've always I love this song. Yeah. Uh,
0: plus Al Green's version is just so good. So yeah, to it's a, a fir- it's to a
1: first-rate uh, ballad. Uh, yeah, smash it for them class. and kind
0: of re redefining them a little bit. And, and there's a and there's other really good stuff. The other This great is one songs, of the more enjoyable uh, mid-period uh records. This is a this is a good record. Israel's on this uh the greatest man in the world. Trafalgar is one of Maurice's most outstanding Yeah, works. Israel's
1: kind of like a are like a Van Morrison kind of yeah. thing, right? They're kind of going for that there. It's really good. They're really pe- I mean, I'm gonna use the P word again. They're they're really our pastiche artists. They're really they're yeah. gonna live oh, we're gonna make a thing like this, and they make it pretty close. But
0: But they have it's cool enough. There's some fucking bullshit on this too. Dearest if you don't like uh, bleeding goats versus BGs, <laughs> uh, you're going to want to steer clear of Dearest because it's beyond cheese. It's a goat ballad, uh, and then <laughs> and then Lion in Winter is total dog shit as well. It,
1: it's this side one's pretty good. Side right.
0: side two is pretty rough. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, things totally slide downhill on side two. And it just drowns in schmaltz and never recovers. That's basically what occurs with it. Mm-hmm. It's basically Odessa, but the concept is carried out here because the... The concept of this record drowns, albeit not in 1899.
1: This is also some historical
0: <laughs> concept album, right? This is to, it just seems like it. It seems like Maybe it's just the cover. In the or early something. 70s, they wanted things to read as redolent of concept <laughs> albums because are we still doing this, guys? We still doing this thing? Um, so, 1972, they came out with a. Oh, sorry, we, we gotta rate Trafalgar. Trafalgar, I give it three and a quarter stars. <laughs> I gave it three. Dude, I, dude i'm retiring the quarter star I, I, dude, right now right. listen no. to me listen to me i was on vacation in vermont you sound like listen. a jackass i don't care quarter star listen if you're on vacation <laughs> and all your thoughts are not on the vista of beauty in front of you but am i going to give this three or three and a half let me tell you what happens real quick just round down No, I love music. All right, so My World is on the A-side and On Time is on the B-side. That's their single from uh, kicking off the year of 1972. This song's a fucking classic. Um, And it was a lot more lucid than some of the more uncertain ballads they were churning out during this period. It's a solid ballad. Uh, I gave this four stars. I'm I'm a fiver on this one. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's pretty good nineteen seventy two uh, proceeds into a record that I believe is very underrated, to whom it may concern is their tenth album released in october seventy two. Um, and the thing is, uh, in uh, they titled it this because they didn't they had no idea who their audience was anymore. Yeah, this one, I feel like we're pretty
1: deep in the rabbit hole here. So they did have the big hit on the last record. Um, but they're kind of in this adult contemporary sort of zone. Um, I guess there's other music out that's like this at the time. America Bread, They're kind of like similar concerns that are going on at the time.
0: There's some changes taking place here, but you don't really hear it on the record. So um, it starts
1: again with the big epic Barry ballad. Run to me is classic. That's a gem. Of the you know that, that's that's another one you've probably uh, heard before. That's, yeah. That one seemed familiar to me.
0: Just, just as a, I want to so before we actually uh, train the microscope further down. This this record was seen as as a goodbye to the old Bee Gees because it was their the last one that they had recorded solely at IBC Studios in London. Uh, it was the last one with their conductor arranger Bill Shepherd. Who had been with them since '67?
1: Yeah, right. So these all have that in common. They have that the Bill Shepherd orchestrations on them, um, even still up to this. So a lot of this one is, has some real easy listening vibes. On and also, of
0: some of these tunes were old ones that were finished or rewritten for the occasion, like uh, "I Can Bring Love." Yeah, not so, a lot of like tension on this. <laughs> this is this is a really. There's a bunch of songs I love on this record. Mm. I, I, think I you probably you like, like this better than me. Yeah, yeah. I, Run to me is great. We lost the road is great. By the way, all these are going on the playlist. If you agree with Joe, I want you guys to write in and say take those goddamn shitty songs off our great playlist uh we if you believe if you believe in what I'm saying, please write supportive emails as well all right we lost the road. Never Been Alone, the song that Joe hates and makes him break out in a cold sweat every night thinking about papier-mâché cabbages and kings, uh, which was a, a number 8 Danish hit. Uh, I Can Bring Love, almost Emmett Rhodesian in its simplicity. I Can Bring Love to me is kind of like a bread
1: thing. Um, it's the kind of thing that I really like. Um, I could understand how somebody would hate it, but um, I like it a lot. it's yeah, it it's, has, it's great. It's a very like soft rock, you know, uh, you're sitting in the wicker chair and all that, but, um, it's right up. My How about alley. Bad,
0: Bad, Bad Dreams? Do you like that one? That one's okay. That one's like a horn soaked rocker with <laughs> this awesome wall of sound vocal harmony thing.
1: You know, it's for you. That's another kind That's of soft rock. Let's yeah. just
0: stop for a second because Maurice not known for his songwriting. This is a classic. It sounds like, um, Paul McCartney's first record or Emmett Rhodes first record, Um, these are very redolent of bread to me. I know I keep saying that,
1: but it's just warm, that warmth, uh,
0: that warm pop thing. Mm -hmm. And then the thing you, I think, hate, they have a look back at, um, some of their psyche day with sweet song of summer. It's just, I don't really hate it. It's just, it's weird. It's, it kind of doesn't
1: really go anywhere. It's
0: Prague psych with a chanted coda. What's wrong with that?
1: It's got this, (laughs) it's mainly kind of a guy just goofing around on a Moog. It's got this very prominent kind of like uh, Moog lead happening, and it's kind of a, like a dirgy mind. It's it's pretty weird.
0: So here's this. Sahara- I don't really
1: hate it. It's just it's like a little more like uh
0: huh. The Sahara's thing that that we were referring to before. So there's a song that's not even close to the best song in this record that was released as a single in the U.S. called "Alive." It was number thirty-four in 1973. That was the last top forty hit in either the U.S. or the U.K. for the Bee Gees until Jive talking in 75.
1: Which isn't that far away, but in BG years. It seems in, in, like an in how many albums they're putting out, <laughs> yeah. they're just
0: being ignored. Yeah, that's so, like nine albums from now. I give this four stars. I gave it three. Okay, that's not that bad. That's not that far off. All right, then we enter into, like, the basically... It has to be the worst... Up to this point, easily the worst year for the band. Nineteen seventy-three was basically a, a, a puddle of dog shit for Barry, Maurice, and Robin. First, it was "Life in a Tin Can." Okay, so that's the first record of seventy-three. We got to talk about the
1: cover of "Life in a Tin Can."
0: It's them in a tin can,
1: literally, like looking
0: down it
1: like like from bird's eye view into a tin can with like the the tab is pulled off
0: the can. They should <laughs> like actually They should actually pump out sardine scent from the album cover.
1: For a band that kind of was like a disco band, they really do have a lot of Spinal Tap kind of (laughs) moments throughout their run.
0: This was uh, the first one they traveled to LA to record. Well, it's only eight songs, and at eight songs, it's even a little bit of a slog. There's There's one great song. The one great song will be on the playlist that's called South
1: Dakota Morning. I would would classify that as a good song. Okay. It's like a country thing. There's kind of two kind of songs on this record. There's kind of like the truly maudlin kind of piano ballads and then kind of like country folk, Australia, British, Americana kind of songs. Like. Like a like, they're kind of trying to do Americana, like that. Like there's bits where it even sounds like the band America. Literally. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. South Dakota um, Morning is not that far removed from what America was. Yeah, doing. I agree. It, it, it does sound like that a bit. It's you
1: know uh, this this is uh, they seem a little bit lost. at this They're stage they're here. totally lost. I give this
0: one two stars. I give it one and a half. And then um, you know the second part of 1973, uh, you know they have this record that remains unreleased. It was supposed to be called a kick in the head is worth eight in the pants. So Uh,
1: this was done. It was in this from the same sessions as life in a tin can. Right. Um, So uh, I guess we were spared more life in a tin can. (laughs) Right. We weren't really spared it because me and you still had to listen to it.
0: Well, yeah, I couldn't find most of these tracks. Were you able to? Uh,
1: I, th- I thought I found most of it, but I don't know. Oh, it's really? hard to get a okay. definitive list of what's actually on it. I had to the, put it honestly,
0: there's it. nothing even worth putting on a playlist that I heard.
1: No, it's kind of more of the same kind of aimless drift of, the, uh, of Life in a Tin Can, more kind of maudlin, soft rock. Um, and it was,
0: it was Robert Stigwood himself who refused to, to, um, for the album to get released. It just thought it wasn't commercial enough. But at that point, they probably had no idea which which way to turn.
1: Right. So there are a few albums away um, from their big smash hit, Um, and you know, time moves a lot faster in those days. You don't have a hit for a couple of years. You're in kind of a
0: precarious position um, back then. Right. So at the end of 1973, this band that was not that long ago had been uh, a very valid concern are now looking at albums that are not even being released commercially. Right. And so, wait until part two to find out what happens with this band. Do they disappear into the annals of obscurity? Or maybe do they try something new? Do they try a flip on an old formula try something new and funkier wouldn't you like to know we recommend binge listening if you happen to come across this in the future if you're coming across it now we recommend you sitting by your phone with your trigger finger extended waiting for a week until the next one comes please go on instagram facebook twitter please follow us
1: um, the more also go to the all better. of your uh, Spotify and Apple Music, wherever you get podcasts. Please subscribe to us. That really helps us a lot when we get subscribers. Go on multiple platforms
0: and follow. That helps Tell us your even friends. better. Tell your friends about us. Tell your frenemies. <laughs> but we'll see you for the next one. Thank you so much for tuning in to Discog Graffiti. My name is Dave Gebro.
1: I'm Joe Kennedy, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.